We'll take your Bibles this morning. Let's go to John chapter 11, the Gospel of John and chapter 11. I'm going to read a few verses right at the beginning of this chapter as our text, and then we'll look at several others uh, in just a moment as we get into the message. John chapter number 11. Follow along as I read, starting with verse 1. I'll read down to verse 6. John 11, and starting with verse 1. The Bible says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. God has not lost his miracle-working power. The same God who performed miracles in the Bible is the God that we serve today. Now, this story opens with a problem. Lazarus, a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ, takes ill. His sisters, with whom he lived, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus. Now, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have text messaging or email. They had to send a literal person with this message to the Lord that Lazarus was sick. Jesus receives the message. He understands it, but apparently does nothing. He abode still in the same place where he was two days. You know, God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we pray them. If he did, he wouldn't be God. You would. But sometimes God's no to our prayer eventually becomes a greater yes. By the time we get to verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And finally, four days after the fact, Jesus comes to Bethany. And we pick up the story, if you look at verse number 34. And he, Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord... Come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Take ye away the stone. One stone separated these people from an amazing miracle. Is there a stone between you or I and a miracle this morning? Could it be that there's a stone between us and an answer to our prayer? Could it be there's a stone between us and a great miracle of God's power in our life. 
In this passage of scriptures, we work back through it, I believe there are four miracle stopping stones. If we go back to verse number seven of our text, we see the stone of doubt. In verse number seven, then after that, he saith to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. Goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there's no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said the disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe, nevertheless let us go unto him. Now this story takes a lot of twists and turns, doesn't it? Lazarus gets sick. His sisters, after perhaps trying to care for him themselves or maybe even asking a doctor to look at him, they finally realized this is beyond anything we can do. And so they sent word to Jesus. They knew that Jesus had the power to heal their brother. They had seen him touch the eyes of the blind or the ears of the deaf. They had seen him cause the lame to walk. They knew that Jesus had the power to come and heal their brother. Perhaps they thought even if he's a long distance away, he could just speak the word and Lazarus would be well. They understood his power to heal. But Jesus receives the message and abode still in the same place where he was two days. Then it seems out of the clear blue, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go into Judea again. Let's go back to Bethany. And the disciples said, Lord, uh, last time we were down there, they tried to kill you. We're going back? He said, uh, well, our friend Lazarus, he's sleeping. I need to go wake him up. And the disciples are confused. They said, Lord, uh, that's a good thing. I mean, if you're sick, the best thing you can do is rest. And if he's sleeping, that's a good thing. We're going to go all the way down there, risk our life just to wake a man out of sleep. Jesus said, no, you, you misunderstand. Lazarus is dead. Well, notice the response in verse 16. Then saith Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go, and we may die with him. You see a little doubt here? You see a little fear here? You know, our first reaction to a problem is usually exactly that. Uh, we, we think, well, there's nothing we can do. It's too late. I don't have the resources. I don't have the strength. I don't, I don't have the power to do anything about this. I mean, there's, there's nothing I can do. We look at ourselves. We look at our strength, our resources, our power, and we, we say it's impossible. I don't know how many times I, I hear people say something like this to their pastor. They'll say, Pastor, I just don't see how we're going to do that. Pastor, I don't see how we could ever build that building. Pastor, I don't see how we could support another missionary. I mean, all the flags, all the spaces are taken. We, we don't have any more room for flags. Uh, Pastor, I don't see how I could get victory over this problem in my life. It's just the way I am. You know, we're not supposed to be able to see it. We say, I don't see. 
But remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We tend to look at what we can see. We look at the problem. We look at the situation. We look at our ability in that problem and we say, I don't see how this can work. I don't see how this could help. I don't see how I could be a solution here. But we walk by faith, not by sight. And I wonder, do we keep ourselves from a miracle-working God because of our own doubt? Remember, without faith, it's impossible to please him. It doesn't say improbable or unlikely. It says it's impossible. It's an interesting verse in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. It says that the Lord could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. What a sad thing. Jesus comes to this location. He wants to do something there, but he says, no, let's, let's move on. There's no faith here. And wouldn't it be a sad thing for God to look at, at our church this morning and say, boy, I'd like to bless that people. I'd like to bless that church. I'd like to start a revival right there that would spread all over the world. But no, let's, let's move on. There's no faith there. Wouldn't it be a sad thing for God to look at my life or your life and say, I'd like to use that man. I'd like to use that lady. I, I'd like to bless their life. But now let's move on to someone else. There's no faith there. My oldest son, John, he met a young lady in college. Her name was April. And they began to become friends and date and got engaged. And, and after they finished college, got married and went off to serve the Lord and Things were going good in their life. God was blessing their lives, their ministry. And after a while, a little, little daughter came along, Katie. Uh, she uh, came into their life and we were blessed, of course. First grandchild, you know, that was exciting. And, and uh, then they had another daughter a couple years later. Her name's Annie. And Annie came into their lives and boy, uh, things were going good for them. And, and uh, uh, you know, traveling in evangelism and preaching and, and serving the Lord. And then that word, that dreaded word, cancer. Nobody likes to hear that word. And so now, surgeries, medications, strategies, and by God's grace, after a period of time, the cancer was eradicated from April's body and she was declared to be cancer-free. Oh, how we rejoiced in that. But the doctor sat John and April down shortly after that and he said, now, we've had to use a lot of medication to get rid of the cancer and as a result of that, you're not going to be able to have any more children. Well, that wasn't the most devastating news. They had two beautiful little girls, and, and yet they had hoped to have more children. And, and, uh, but because of the medicine now in April's body, she would be unable to conceive. Well, they went home and thanked the Lord that the cancer was gone. And they said, Lord, you know, you're a great God. And you're bigger than science. You're bigger than the doctors. And, 
we're just going to pray. We're just going to give this to you. And, and by faith, I, I believe you could do a miracle and you could, you could overcome the, the odds, so to speak, scientifically, biologically, and, and you could give us another child if you wanted to. And so they began to pray in faith. And years went by. And one day, April was pregnant. Oh, man, they were excited. We were all excited. I mean, they had they'd beaten the odds. They were going to have a baby. And they went back to the doctor. He was not excited. He said, oh, this is not good. The, 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 we, 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 can't, we, we can't do this. He said, this, this baby cannot survive a full term. There, there's no way. I mean, even if this baby were to survive because of the things in your body, it's going to have mental retardation. It's, it's going to be blind. It's going to be deaf. I mean, you're going to have all kinds of problems. You, you've got to terminate this pregnancy. Oh, they said, no, no, we, we've been praying that God would give us another child, and, and this child is a gift from God. And we, we want this child, re, regardless of, uh, uh, of what may happen. We, we want this child. And the doctor said, you don't understand. You cannot bring a child like this into life. This, this is not right. And he began to bring another specialist to talk to them, but they, they said, no, we, we want this child. Well, as I said, they were traveling in evangelism in those days, and they were holding a revival in Castaic, California, a little town just north of Los Angeles. And it was Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, John and April are both uh, football fans. Uh, April's a Steelers fan. Other than that, she's a pretty good person. But, but um, they were excited about the Super Bowl coming up. But on the West Coast, the game starts at 3.30 in the afternoon. And it's kind of it's kind of bad for us out there because uh, you, you get to watch like the first quarter and then you have to go to church. And and then by the time you get out of church, even if you tape the game, people know who won and they tell you. And so, you know, who cares now? And so it's kind of a kind of a tough deal. Well, they got to the church and the pastor said, hey, uh, he said, don't worry about that. He said, our whole church, we love football here. And he said, what we do is we tape the game and then we come to church and we're vowed to secrecy. No one is allowed to say anything about the game. If they know the score, they're not allowed to tell anybody. And after church, we all go over to my house and we watch the game and you're welcome to come. Oh man, they were excited about that. So after church, they went to the pastor's house, watched the game. It's a great game. They got excited and maybe April got a little too excited. And when it was over, she looked at John. She said, John, I think this baby's coming. Well, it wasn't due for a number of weeks. But she's had babies before. She said, I think I'm starting to have contractions. And, and, and they don't even know if there's a hospital in this town. I mean, they, they just got there the night before. And, and, uh, and John asked the pastor, he said, well, there is, but it's a ways away. And they got in the car, they drove. And sure enough, this baby was coming. And that night, John was born. I call him third John. Came very prematurely. Hardly weighed three pounds. And as they began to pull up the data, they saw, oh, one of these babies. The doctors began to descend on that hospital. And the doctor, after a few hours, came in, after a number of tests had been run. He sat down in that recovery room with John and April, and he said, you know, uh, your little guy, he's, he's doing pretty good. He's small. He's going to be here a while. But he's, he's doing pretty good. He said, we've, we've run a number of tests now so far, and at this point, the only thing we know that's wrong with him is, is that he's deaf. 
we did the hearing test. In fact, we do it three times to be sure. And, and uh, your son is unable to hear. But really, compared to what could have been, it's an amazing miracle. Well, it was. But John looked at that doctor whom he had never met until that night. And he said, sir, he said, uh, would you mind doing that hearing test again? The doctor said, well, we, we don't do it again. We do it three times to make sure we have it right. John said, I, I understand, but you see, I'd like you to do it again if you would. We're Christians, and we've been praying that God would give us a completely healthy child for his glory. And, and I'd just like you to do it again. The doctor said, well, sir, you don't have any insurance, and, and, and you don't have the money to pay for the first three tests. How are you going to pay for another one? John said, don't worry about that. Just, if you would, please do it again. Well, the doctor left the room kind of shaking his head, and John went outside. And as he tells the story, he began to walk around that hospital and pray. He picked up a rock out of one of the flower beds. He actually stole it. It's in his office. But he picked up a rock kind of as a symbol of God's creation and God's power. And he claimed, he said, God, I know you can heal, little John. You can allow him to hear. And I'm praying by faith that you would open his ears. Went back in the hospital and soon the doctor came in, kind of shaking his head. He said, you know, I, I did the test again. In fact, he said, I did it three more times because I couldn't believe the result. Your son's hearing is fine. You know, John is almost 10 years old now. And his hearing is really good. When he wants to hear, he hears just fine. He's still kind of a little guy. He wants to be the world's first ninja evangelist. I, I, I don't know about the, the evangelist part. The ninja's coming along real good. But I'm just asking you today, are we missing a miracle because of the stone of doubt? I see another stone. Look at verse 17. It's the stone of disappointment. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and to Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now drop down to verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Isn't that interesting? Jesus finally comes to town four days after the fact. Martha hears that Jesus is coming, so she runs out to meet him. Mary stays at the house. Martha goes out. She falls down before him, and she says, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. I don't know exactly the emotion. I don't know exactly the tone of her voice, but it sounds to me like she's venting a little bit here. She's saying, Lord, if you had come when we asked you to come, this wouldn't have happened. I don't know what you were so busy about. I thought you loved us, uh, uh, but, but you blew it. If you had come when we asked, this wouldn't have happened. She kind of vents there. She goes back to the house and tells Mary that Jesus has come. He wants to see you. So now Martha stays at the house, and Mary goes out, falls down before Jesus, and says the exact same words. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You know what that tells me? That had been the topic of conversation around the dinner table the last four nights. Where was he? Why didn't he respond? 
I thought he cared. I thought we could, we could trust him. Where was he? What could have been more important than his friends? You know, I'm talking to people this morning. You believe the miracles that are recorded in the Bible. You believe that, that the, the Israelites walked across the Red Sea on dry land. You believe that? Because it's in the Bible. You've read it. You've looked at that passage where the, the walls, the water, they, they walled up and, and they walked across that Red Sea on dry land. You believe that. You believe it because it's in the Bible. You believe. There are people sitting here this morning. You believe that Jesus took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 men plus the women and the children with those five loaves and two fishes so that when everybody was full and afterwards they gathered up 12 baskets of leftovers. You believe that. You know why? Because in the Bible. And you believe it. It's a miracle of God. And guess what? You believe in some modern day miracles. You've heard people in this church stand up on a Wednesday night and say, God has healed me of my cancer. You've heard people say, God gave me a job. You've heard uh, people say, God restored a relationship. God saved my brother or my, my dad who's been lost for years. You've heard of the miracles that God has done in your generation. But for some reason, he didn't answer your prayer. You prayed. You trusted him. You believed he would. And for some reason, he said no. And it's left you disappointed. Can I remind us about a man in the Old Testament by the name of Job? The Bible says Job was a great man. And when it says great, he was great in the sense of material things. He he had 5,000 sheep and 5,000 camels. He had all these things that really were a way for God to express his bank account in those days. Job had 10 children. He had seven sons and three daughters. His family was blessed. But Job was not just great. It says he was the greatest man in the East, but he was not just great materially. He was great spiritually. The Bible says he feared God, he eschewed evil. In fact, if you read chapter 1 carefully, you'll see where Job rose up early in the morning and offered sacrifices according to the number of his children, just in case they sinned that day. And it says, thus Job did continually. So every morning, Job gets up, he offers 10 sacrifices. If you just think about what it would have taken to do a sacrifice, you know, take an animal, kill it, put it on the altar and, and offer it up unto the Lord. 10 of those he did a day just in case his children would sin, he'd have them covered. Amazing story. Job was a great man. But one day, almost that fast, Job sees the rug just pulled out from under him. I mean, word comes, all of his possessions are gone. All of his cattle, they're, they're, all, they're all taken away. And, and his servants that tended them, they're all dead or taken captive. Then he no more than gets that word. And word comes that all of his children, 10 of them, were in this house. And a whirlwind, we'd probably call it a tornado, comes through there and, and wipes it out. And all of his kids are dead. 
And then we read a little further, and Job gets sick. He has boils over his entire body. He's in tremendous physical torment and pain. And then his friends come to try to comfort him, but instead they accuse him of being backslidden. They said, Job, this is because you're not right with God. You need to get right with God, or this is going to get worse. And then his own wife says, Job, curse God and die. I mean, he's at the bottom. But in Job 13, verse 15, Job says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I will maintain my own ways before the Lord. Wow. You know what happens when we're disappointed with God? We quit church. I don't know how many people I hear all around the world say to their pastor, pastor, you know, we'd come tonight, but we're kind of going through it right now. You know, when you're kind of going through it right now, is the time to go to church. But so many people, when a little trouble comes, a little trial or difficulty comes, they don't understand. They quit church. They step out of the choir. They stop teaching their class. They, they, They quit praying because they tried that. They, 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 they don't witness anymore. Not Job. Job said, if he kills me, I'm still going to trust him. I'm going to maintain my own way before the Lord. Listen, we've all had some disappointments. There are all things we don't understand. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And sometimes it doesn't go the way we pray. But we've got to maintain our way before the Lord, lest we miss a miracle. Here was the stone of doubt. Here was the stone of disappointment. And thirdly, I see the stone of dishonor. In verse number 38, Jesus says, or verse 39, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. Jesus comes to this cave. It was a, it was a cave. There was a stone over the, over the covering. Lazarus has been placed inside. And now Jesus says, take you away this stone. And Martha's reaction was, no, no, Lord, don't do that. You see, in Bible days, when someone died, they, they buried them very quickly because they did not have the ability to preserve the body as we would today to give folks a chance to come for a funeral or maybe in the case of an autopsy uh, to find the cause of death. We can preserve a body for weeks or even months. But back here, when someone died, they, they buried them immediately. If it was at night, the very next morning. Why? Because the body would decay quickly. So they place him in this cave. They put the stone over the covering. And now he's been in there for four days. And Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha's response is, Lord, don't do this to us. You're going to embarrass us. This isn't going to look good. This isn't going to smell good. And all of our friends have come to comfort us concerning our brother. Please, Lord, don't do this. Can I remind you, Jesus had said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Can I remind you that when Jesus already knew Lazarus was dead, when he said he sleepeth, and I go that I may awake him out of sleep. When Martha goes out to meet him, we didn't look at it, but in verse 25 and 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. But you see, all that had gone right over the head of Martha. Because all Martha was thinking about was Martha. 
And I wonder how many miracles do we miss because we love the praise of men more than the praise of God. We're afraid to even bow our head and pray at a restaurant for fear that someone might notice. We're afraid to, to knock on a door and, and give someone a track for fear they might get mad or cuss us out or laugh at us. And we miss the miracles of God because of the stone of dishonor. How can you believe we seek honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Oh, and this can happen to the best of us. Up until Acts chapter 10, the disciples, they understood that the gospel was to be preached to the Jews. But they had not preached it to the Gentiles. They did not think Gentiles could be saved. But in Acts chapter 10, God gives Peter a vision. Remember the sheet coming down and all these animals? And Peter says, yeah, those are clean and those are unclean. We can't eat those. We can eat those. And God says, don't call anything unclean. And through that vision, God shows Peter that the gospel is to pre be preached to the Jews and the Gentiles. Aren't you happy about that? And so Peter starts preaching to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are getting saved. They're getting saved by faith, same way the Jews were getting saved. It's the only way you can get saved, through faith. And Peter is rejoicing with these Gentiles. They're having some fellowship one night around a table. They're eating and enjoying the blessings of God. And all of a sudden, some of, some of the Jews, some of the circumcised, they walked into the restaurant and Peter, he, he gets up and he, and he runs over and, and he sits with the Jews for fear of what they might say, him eating with the Gentiles. Boy, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul said, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. I, if I could paraphrase the conversation, Paul said, Peter, of all people, you knew the gospel was for the Gentiles. God showed it to you first. But Peter, you got concerned about Peter instead of the gospel. And if we're not careful, like Martha, like Peter, we can get concerned about John Getch and miss the miracles of God because of the stone of dishonor. But then I see finally the stone of delay. In verse 39, Jesus said, take ye away the stone. In verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Man, can you see the scene here? Jesus standing by this cave, and he says, take you with a stone. Well, he's not talking to me. I, I, I don't know anything about moving stones. I mean, I, I've never taken a class in that. I, I wouldn't know the first thing to do. Well, I think we, we probably get a better, better get a permit before we move anything. I mean, the government has regulations. There could be an endangered species under that stone for all we know. We've got to check on these things. Well, let's, let's put a committee together. Aren't you glad somebody moved the stone? 
Jesus gives the command and somebody moved it. Uh, we don't know who. It says they it probably took more than one person to move this stone. Somebody obeyed God. I bet Lazarus was happy. <laughs> you know, folks, we come to church. I go to church. We hear our pastors preach. And oftentimes we know exactly what God's saying. We know what God wants us to do. But there's that stone of delay. See, the greatest miracle God will ever do in your life is when he saves you. And yet many people know that they're a sinner. They know that they're lost. They know they want to go to heaven. And Jesus says, well, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And they say, okay, I know that, but not today. The devil does not care what you do as long as you don't do it today. The devil always tells you tomorrow. Tomorrow. There was a man named Felix. He heard Paul preach. And the Bible says he was so under conviction, he literally physically began to tremble. But he looked at Paul and he said, when I have a more convenient season, I'll call for thee. And I keep reading there in the book of Acts. In fact, I read beyond Acts and I don't see Felix ever mentioned again in this book. He thought, I'll get saved one day. I'll get saved. I'll make this decision someday. I know that's what I need. I, I'm convicted, but, but I, I'm not right now. God says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Christian, many times God speaks to us. We know what we ought to do, but we put it off. I was preaching in Indianapolis, Indiana. On a Tuesday morning, there was a lady in the church. She came home from some grocery shopping. She's about 65 years old. Lived by herself. She'd gone grocery shopping. She came home. She pulled in her driveway. And just as she did, her neighbor lady, about the same age, pulled into her driveway. As these ladies got out of their cars, the lady from the church, she kind of waved to her neighbor and immediately realized something was wrong. She ran around the fence line. She said, are you okay? The lady was crying now. And she said, are you okay? And her neighbor said, I just got back from the doctor. My cancer's returned. There's nothing they can do. He said, I've got two weeks. Oh, the Christian lady said, listen, come on, let's get you inside. They got inside. They sat down and she said, you know, we've talked about this. You need Jesus. You need to be sure you're saved. Oh, the lady said, I, I don't want to talk about that now. The Christian lady said, listen, why don't you get some rest? I'll go home. I'm going to make you something to eat, and I'll come back about 4 o'clock, and, and we'll have a little meal together, and we'll talk more. And I'd like, you to, I'd like you to go to church with me tonight. We have a revival. I want you to come with me. The lady said, I, I, I don't think I'll be up to that. She said, well, you just get some rest. I'll be back at four. She went home, prepared some soup and some sandwiches, and she went back over at four o'clock, and they ate together. And, and sure enough, the lady decided she would come with her to revival. They sat right over here. I did not know a thing about what I just told you. I'd never met either lady in my life. But the Lord led me to preach that night out of Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, 
but after this, the judgment. And I talked about the brevity of life. You know, it's not that life is so short, it's that eternity is so long. And I talked about that we need to be prepared to meet God, and I preached the gospel. The visiting lady listened carefully. I was almost finished with the message. In fact, I was sharing the final illustration when all of a sudden a man over on this side, toward the back, about five rows from the back in this far left-hand section, his name was Bob Estes. He was 40 years old, and all of a sudden he just fell over in the pew like someone shot him. I saw it. Some people in the back saw it, began to scurry about. Most of the crowd was unaware it was going on. And I watched as Bob slumped over in that pew. A man jumped up from across the aisle, and when he did, I, I saw a stethoscope sticking out of his pocket. It just so happened God had a medical doctor sitting right across the aisle. That doctor went to Bob's assistance. It just so happened, coincidentally, that three registered nurses were sitting back in this section. Two of them came to assist the doctor. The third went into the lobby at the doctor's command and called 911. I closed the service down, stopped the illustration. I said, let's pray. And the pastor came up on the platform. I covered the mic and I said, there's, a, there's an emergency in the back. He surveyed the situation and he said, John, give the invitation. That's the best doctor in Indianapolis. He knows what he's doing. So I prayed and with heads bowed, I had people stand and we gave the invitation. And people came, some to be saved. This woman did not come. By the time we finished the invitation, we'd heard the sirens approaching and now the back doors had opened and the paramedics were coming in and they were coming to the assistance of Bob. The pastor announced that there was an emergency. He said, let's be seated. He called on two of the deacons to pray. By the time they finished praying, the paramedics had taken Bob out to the ambulance. We could hear the sirens going on into the distance toward the hospital. As we dismissed the service, the lady over here said to her neighbor, listen, don't, don't you think you ought to get saved? I mean, you, today, the doctors told you you've got two more weeks to live is all. You've heard a message out of the Bible about how we need to prepare to meet God. And, and, and now we've watched a man almost half our age. We don't know if he's alive or dead. And the lady looked at her neighbor and she said, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. You know, when I heard that, I thought, when will she be ready? But you see, the devil is really good at blocking God's miracles with the stone of delay. I don't know what God's saying to you today, but today, if you'll hear his voice, Harden not your heart. God is a miracle-working God. Don't let the stone of doubt or the stone of discouragement or disappointment or the stone of dishonor or the stone of delay keep you from seeing a great miracle in your life. Take ye away the stone.